Scott, thank you. That's a very nice greeting. I very much appreciate that. And it is my privilege and pleasure to be with you yet again in worship at the 9 a.m. hour. Now that I'm teaching at the 9 a.m. hour, I, Mary and I have missed being with you. So uh, that's true. It's really true. It is, Carl. It's, it's really true. <laughs> So I, I am delighted to, to, to be able to share with you from the scriptures, even as I am delighted to be perceived as your parish associate. Um, since Jerry has never had a parish associate, and since I've never been one, we're kind of making it up as we go along, but, uh, but I am delighted to be a part of that. And it has been a real delight for me to be with a, a group at the 9 a.m. hour uh, as we're up in room 201. We, uh, wonderful, from my perspective, uh, opportunity to share and learn with one another, uh, and I delight in that. Um, we were in 1 Samuel, and now we're in the Gospel of, of Mark. But I would like to extend an invitation to all of you, an invitation that probably you won't accept, which is at the 9 o'clock hour starting next Sunday, we're going to be giving consideration to what I call the Gospel according to Scrooge. And we're going to take three Sundays in December and then a fourth Sunday in January to read with one another Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, but to read it theologically and biblically and to try to discern what it is that Dickens had in mind when he put pen to paper. And so, again, I think probably most of you will still be here in this room <laughs> But should you be inclined for two or three or four Sundays to join us up in room 201, uh, we would be delighted to have you there. And Rudy and I are getting together this week, Wednesday, thank you, because Rudy's going to make certain that there's some coffee and some good things to eat, maybe. So we won't have a fireplace, that we cannot promise, but would be delighted to have you share with us if that is at all possible for you. This morning, then, we are concluding, or I am concluding, Jerry's sermon series, Being Shaped Like Jesus. And in order to conclude this morning, that series, I would have us consider that well-known encounter between Jesus and a woman, a Samaritan woman, at a well. It's an encounter that you are very familiar with, I'm sure. But before we, we do that, I have a question for you. Uh, I, I'm full of questions. I have a question for you. When and where do you truly rest? When and where do you truly rest? Now, as is my want, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. So go ahead, say it, neighbor. Oh, with a little bit more than that. Neighbor. Oh, thank you. That's much, much better. Neighbor, when and where do you truly rest? Say that. Let's do it. Neighbor, when and where do you truly rest? 
Oh, very good. Now that you've got that down, I now really want you to turn to your neighbor, and I'm going to give you 47 seconds, and I want you to ask that question of one another, when and where do you truly rest? I'm looking at the clock. Go. You still have 25 seconds. I'm giving you 10 more. Very good, very good. This morning, as based upon John chapter 4, verses 3 to 29, I would have us give thought to rest being shaped like Jesus, rest. But before we continue and as we get into the scriptures, please join us, join me in a further word of prayer. Let's pray. Living Lord, we ask that in these moments, even as we sang praises to you, and, and, thank, and we are thankful for the Sawyer family. But, but even as we sang praises, which we trust you heard, now please may we hear from you. We don't need to hear my voice or my words, but we need to hear from you. And so in these moments, please give us ears to hear. And then once we hear, help us to do what it is that we have heard from you. May the meditations of our hearts and our minds be pleasing in your sight. This we humbly ask in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Please now listen to and for the word of God as it comes to us from John chapter 4, verses 3 to 29. And I have abbreviated this. I don't always like to do that, but I have done so. But please now listen for that word of our Lord for us this morning. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it 
that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah. Can he? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the first portion of our passage this morning, verses 1 to 6, two details stand out, at least in my mind. First, John noted that it was necessary for Jesus to travel through Samaria. And second, John noted that Jesus tired out from his labored trek, rested at a well attributed to Jacob. In the second portion of our passage, verses 7 to 15, Jesus initiated a conversation with a woman who had come to draw water. She balked, not because, not only because he had no bucket, but because she fully recognized the sexual, the cultural, and the religious abyss yawning before them. But he persisted. 
affirming that indeed he was greater than her ancestor Jacob and that he could give water which would spring forth gushing forever. More than intrigued, she then enthused, give me this water. In the third portion of our passage, verses 16 to 29, Jesus redirected their conversation. He asked her to introduce him to her husband. Being no fool, she sought to artfully engage Jesus in a theological debate rather than to focus upon her marital history. This, however, led Jesus finally to state, genuine worship of my Father would be in spirit and truth. Remarkably, the woman then declared, I know that Messiah is coming. In light of her confession, Jesus said, Ego me. I am. I am the one speaking to you. Ego me. An allusion, I think, to the divine name in Exodus chapter 3, Moses and the burning bush. I am the one speaking to you. With that, with this word, the woman then left her jar and left Jesus and went into the village and began to inquire, could this be? Could this actually be the man I just spoke with? Could he be Messiah, Mashiach? Whatever else she might have been, I believe that our Samaritan woman was theologically astute. She recognized the messianic undercurrents in Jesus' words, such as Isaiah had promised when he penned, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Without question this morning, most facets of this, at least for me, provocatively rich encounter we will not address. Instead, I would have us focus upon those three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, where we read, it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. And Jesus, tired out from his journey, rested. 
although this was literally true, anyone traveling south from Judea up to Galilee must go through at least a narrow corridor in Samaria. But on this occasion, Jesus chose to travel through the central, central portion of Samaria. He did so, I think, not because of any geographic necessity or even of a political necessity, but a divine necessity. A divine necessity. In keeping with the will of his Father, it was necessary for Jesus to trek through Samaria in order that he might meet a woman, a woman who needed the running water, the gushing, messianic, living waters Jesus offered. However, please note this playful but profoundly respectful conversation occurred because Jesus rested. Was he more tired than the other disciples? Or did he recognize that from moments of respite, great fruit might be gleaned. Great waters might spring forth. Great life might abound. Rest, being shaped like Jesus, he rested at a well. Now, if you will, please shift with me. In Exodus chapter 20, we read the Ten Commandments. We read of the fourth command, and I would guess that you might well know that command. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it. Oh, see, what a group. Jerry has done so well, has he not? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Sabbath, oh, we, we need to do this. Shabbat, right? You, you wanted to at least pronounce some Hebrew this morning, didn't you? Yes? Carl, I'm going to pick on you again. Did you want to pronounce some Hebrew this morning? Uh, next Sunday. Okay. <laughs> but for those of you who did, go ahead and say it. Shabbat. Oh, isn't that a lovely sound? I love the sound of Hebrew. Shabbat, Sabbath, rest. But most telling in that Exodus 20 passage is the rationale given for that command. And the rationale is essentially this. We, or the Israelites, were created in the image of God, in the image of our Creator. Bearing His image, we were created to rest in his presence. We were created to rest in his presence. 
Likewise, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is a second recounting of the Ten Commandments, there we read of the fourth commandment as well, but the rationale is different in this recounting. In this instance, it's not that we or the Israelites bear the image of God, but that they or we were set free from bondage and slavery. Rest means freedom. Freedom from work. Freedom from labor. Freedom from the expenditure of energies. Freedom from activities and calendars and schedules and the secondhand emotions garnered from TV and the internet. Rest means freedom from work and freedom for our Lord. Rest means freedom from work and freedom for our Lord. If you will allow further, it seems to me that when he came to that well, Jesus rested, ever present to his Father, he who is the very image of God, he who acts freely, always in love, rested. And in that moment came an offering pregnant with life from which multitudes ever since, including us, have greatly benefited. We Americans, we know that we are activists. In fact, we esteem activity as a great, even as a moral good. But we also know if we allow ourselves time to reflect, we also know that often we feel trapped, enslaved to our commitments, to children, to work, to our maintaining our houses and our cars and our boats and our computers. At times we feel in bondage to the American dream. There is reason that for decades, at least during my lifetime, that we talk consistently about Blue Mondays, in part because we're so exhausted from the weekend. There is reason why the mattress stores still seem to thrive. There is reason that we imbibe liquids or take pills before going to bed. There is a reason why our vacations sometimes just don't do it. Activists. When I mentioned to Mary that I would be sharing with you about rest, 
rest as indicative of being shaped like Jesus, she looked at me quizzically. Not critically, but quizzically. She knows that we pastor types, so many of us, really are activists. And she knows that although I am an intuitive introvert, and I am clearly that, I am also an activist. I just do it quietly. I can sit for hours <laughs> reading or writing actively. She knows that. And I know that I should rest. Even as I know that I should be generous and hospitable and patient and gentle and thankful and loving, being shaped like Jesus, I know I should. But I also know that these shoulds encourage me to do, to be active, to get out my checklist. No, our being shaped like and by Jesus occurs within community in his presence, being shaped by and like Jesus occurs in community in his presence. You and I will learn the divine necessity of rest when together we determine to live counterculturally. When together, in the language of Andre Nouwen, we choose to become irrelevant to our culture's clanging siren. When together we choose to listen, to really listen to another voice, to another way, who is Jesus, Jesus our Lord. But such listening occurs when we rest, from which then emerges meaningful, relational conversation with him and with one another. Rest is a divine necessity. And rest and meaningful conversation walk hand in hand. Rest and meaningful conversation walk hand in hand. I wonder, maybe it's time for us, all of us, to begin seriously talking about rest. Maybe in our home groups, 
however it is that we might cluster together with one another, but to truly, seriously begin to talk about rest. Some years ago in the Quincy Church, Quincy's just south of Boston, we came to a moment where we decided that we would no longer have a Christmas staff dinner. That is, we would no longer have it in December. We began to have our Christmas dinner in January. Rest at moments will require our saying no. And you and I are about in that season, right? We know it's coming. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, he's talking about rest. Well, good luck. Talk to me about that in January. No, now's the time for us to think and to talk about rest. But I also wonder, what life, what life are you missing? Because you do not of necessity rest in the presence of our Lord. What life are you missing? Not only a woman, not only a village, but throughout two millennia, the lives of millions upon millions have been profoundly enriched because Jesus stopped to rest at a well. Of necessity, Jesus traveled through Samaria. He rested in a delightfully engaging, enriching conversation occurred. Let's pray. Living Lord, you are the one who shapes, truly shapes us. We pray that you will shape us into your image, that we more and more will become like you. And we would pray, I would pray, that we will learn the necessity of resting, particularly resting in your presence. Please, so mold us that we are at rest in and with you. This we humbly ask, most, most sincerely, in your name. Amen.